0: Hi, this is Jim Cook, the brewer and founder of Samuel Adams, and you're listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future.
1: <laughs> Welcome
0: to Too Much Scrolling for September 21st, 2021. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hess We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. It is the end of September, Chip. October is around the corner. There's so many things happening around town. There's so many Oktoberfests that we went to all weekend. and, and, And the local festivals are still going on. I hope that we can have local festivals going forward. Well, it's like COVID went away, Steve. Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about COVID. Everybody's even though we're outside, most of the people are still masked up. We're still protecting each other and uh, going forward. Boy, I hope I hope Christmas isn't canceled this year, Chip.
1: (laughs) It won't be. Interestingly enough, I I am in Lexington, Kentucky, getting ready to go to a tailgate in football game. Which once again, you know, you ask yourself: Is should you be around these great big crowds? Uh, You know, take a little bit of precaution. You gotta live life a little bit. Are you ready for some football? I'm ready for some football. Down, my... Film at eleven.
0: <laughs> Brings us to our film at eleven, our movie of the week. Chip, did you go to a movie theater this week?
1: I did go to a movie theater, Steve. Wow. What did you see this week? I saw Show Me the Father. Which uh, I just want to make sure everyone knows. It was actually a private performance. And if I, when I went to the theater to watch it, I think I may have been the first ticket bought all week to watch this movie. So, <laughs> okay. so let's just say that the theater experience it, can be lonely, just like the old days. <laughs> so this is the latest from the Kendrick Brothers, right? It is, and in fact, I've always said if you want to really understand the American South and also understand their relationships to religion, um, there's no better example of that than the Kendrick brothers. This is a, a interview uh, of a number of people on what fatherhood means to them, and ultimately they try to draw a parallel of, of how that connects to their uh, their idea of God and, and things of that nature.
0: So this is a documentary, not a story-based
1: movie like most of their other films. Correct, and and it's more Man, documentary is probably not even fair to this. This is interviews, so there there are at least three uh, stories that we're going to follow along. One is one of the Kendrick brothers uh, adopted a child from um, from China, and what that meant to them and going over and picking up this you know, young girl uh, and bringing her home and making a part of her family. And, and, and you know just the idea that there are large groups of people who, who need us, who, who basically are, don't have very good lives. Their prospects are not very good and they have health problems and what a family can do to truly make a difference. So that was important. The story also talks a lot about mentorship And I I don't want to give away the the grand story on it, but there really is, there's a football coach and a a player and and they form a a bond because this young man grew up in in an area that he didn't really have a father present or a a man uh, in his life and young people, they need their fathers is really what ultimately this story comes to. And what, um, a male figure, what a father can mean to a young person on how they developed. And then there was also a conversation with uh, a man who didn't have a good experience with his father. His father was in and out of his life, had substance abuse issues. The decision that this young man had to make at some point was to go live with his brother who was in the military because it was a stable home compared to being with his father. And I think the, um, if I remember properly, he's an 11 year old, he's talking to his dad and said, I love you, but I don't think this is the right way to live. And his father's response was he got up, he walked across the room and hugged his son because he knew his son was correct. Hmm. That's a big burden for a young person to carry. Mm hmm. And, fi- and finally, there was the Kendrick brother's uh, father who um, was having some medical issues, unable to walk, basically going through all the challenges. Think about the mental exercise that you would go through if you knew your body was not going to work properly. And all of a sudden, you have to provide income for, for your family. Mm-hmm. And you have to be the father for them. And sort of what that means the revelation that ultimately comes out of this is that in the Jewish faith, uh, many fathers bless their children and do blessings. And so, you know, the Kendrick brothers said, that, you know, that's a really good thing to do. And so, they practice a, a blessing that they would have over their their children. And I think that that is uh, just truly touching. So for those that really want to understand sort of, like I said, the evangelical faith, I I don't think there's a better example of that than than the kinder brothers. Mm. And for those who are looking at it from the outside and want to look at it as mentorship and what parents can mean to their children, I think that they can find a lot of depth there because this is a, a great example of why it's so important to when you can hug your children, you hug your children. And when you can encourage your children, you encourage your children. And when you need to be that listen, you know, sounding board, that person to listen, you listen. It's, it's just real important to having them grow and being comfortable being the person they are and how that just, um, there's just so many people who just do not have that foundation and it impacts society as a whole.
0: Hmm. You have seen a lot of these Kendrick Brothers films. Does this one stack up to all the rest?
1: Well, I I found myself weeping in it. Hmm. I mean, it really is touching. Uh, I grew up in the South. I grew up uh, in a church environment. And so this certainly speaks to me. and, And, you know, was I conditioned for it? Possibly, possibly. But I think there's just so much more to it than that. The Kendrick Brothers really do identify some of the real challenges in society and they look to address it you know whether you agree with the ultimate solution they come with I, I i don't know how you couldn't agree with most of it yeah and you know and i'm talking about i'm talking about a person not of their faith
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you know for a person of their faith, it certainly is is talking to them in a very good level and th- this is a uh, i think it was courageous was their movie that they deal with the father you know, about fatherhood and what that means. So I think this is a, you know, just another offshoot of, of that. So I I, I I think the Kendrick brothers are great. I think this is uh, a very interesting exploration of, of being a good parent.
0: Nice. You also got to see an older film, The Dressmaker. This is Kate Winslet and Liam Hemsworth. This is uh, the story of a young lady going to Australia, right?
1: yes it is and in fact it's it's a very australian film so i i watched this and i was going oh this is a new film this was from 2015
0: yeah we talked about this back in the the old days of this show six years ago did, <laughs> i didn't review this did you review this nope nope neither of us watched it until this week when you saw it so tell us six years in the future chip is this a movie that we should watch
1: well, this is a great movie. I let <laughs> to make sure I'm very clear. The person I saw it with did not think it was a great film. Okay. Because I think what it did it got really emotional uh, part of it. Okay. Um, I, I think that there is some hokiness to it. I, I certainly don't want to dismiss this because there's just something about it that is just un- improbable. Sort of the the event that caused all this stuff was just kind of improbable. now i'm not saying that improbable things don't happen it just seems kind of out there but (laughs) but the result you know think of a a small community out in australia or your neck of the woods it doesn't really matter where um something happens there's a kid that dies and there's a person that's blamed for it and all the whispering that goes on and and the lack of understanding the lack of forgiveness and then all the secrets that go on and that community. So Kate Winslet's character ends up uh, leaving the community, being sent away, eventually winds up in Paris and learns to be a dressmaker. So how about that? That's lovely. Um, she eventually comes back to, to help her mother. Her mother is having some mental health issues and certainly you know not have, living the best life. So she arrives back home with her newfound skills. What it also shows is how the clothing that we wear, the masks that we wear, the things that we use really can help identify us, identify our values. So she is a gifted dressmaker. All the, uh, the, the fabric hugs, hugs your curves correctly. It really um, accents your body properly, makes you look good. But deep down there is something rotten in this town and uh the, the story ends ultimately with uh kate winslet uh, recognizing that the rod is there and then burns it to the ground as she's leaving so <laughs> what can you say and it's got liam and helmsworth in it which um is once again kate winslet and liam helmsworth are like uh the beautiful people what can you say
0: oh yeah, yeah. no doubt about that all right so so a tentative
1: suggestion for people to watch this one no no i would say show me the father is probably 75 out of 100 worthwhile seeing the dressmaker i'd say 75 out of 100 once again um worthy of your time certainly uh, you know it's just a good good film okay. uh i i don't necessarily think you're going to, to leave this film incredibly satisfied because there's still something about the rot you know how the rot kind of and the the rumors and and the lack of communication on this there's a lot of stuff going on there there there's um there's something about um being in a small community where uh some real challenges get covered up Mm -hmm. and how the community covers up for some people but not others mm-hmm. and if you're not a person who is um you know part of that circle you know you end up being like kate winslet's character sent mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. Um, so anyway i i enjoyed this film it's on amazon prime and like i said i'm watching and i'm thinking this is a film that just came out <laughs> was lost in COVID. no 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 2015. this was lost six years ago and you just found it that's all <laughs> Steve, I'm not the only one who's been uh, streaming some stuff and watching some things. What have you watched this week?
0: I finally got a chance to finish up the series on Loki on Disney+. Plus. This is, you'll remember Loki as the mischievous god from the Thor movies that was then in all of the MCU as like the mischievous character who you don't know what he's going to do. Loki could do anything. And the Loki series he takes Loki and pulls him out of his time and pushes him into this whole new situation with the time variance authority the idea that something is wrong with the timeline and there is a a group of people with a lot of paperwork a lot of government agency that is changing the timeline for the better
1: let's kind of place this for those of you that have followed the mcu the marvel comics universe the Iron Man, the, uh, the Spider-Man, the Captain America movies, the Avengers movies. Loki is one of the bad guys who basically was so charming. They have made him, I don't know, kind of bad. It's kind of not bad. He shows up in, in lots of movies, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is a series on Disney+. Plus.
0: And I think you mean Tom Hiddleston is so charming. I think that the actor is the one who has made Loki into such a wonderful character that we then explore through this whole series, just centered on him. And that's the theme of the series, is the charmingness of this one person doesn't amount to a hill of beans in the universe. It's not about Loki. And Loki has to figure that out out through the course of all sorts of adventures this is so beautifully made this is a very long movie like most of the short series that we've seen from the Marvel Cinematic Universe this this was made by Doctor Who fans this is the most Doctor Who this is the best episode of Doctor Who that I've ever seen <laughs>
1: How about it's, that? It, <laughs> well, it, it, there's it a good a, way to describe it for all you Whovians.
0: It, it appeals to a certain demographic, Chip. Uh, the <laughs> And you would be that
1: demographic?
0: <laughs> yes. There is no doubt that when you take the multiverse, when you say there's so many different characters that are this one person Loki, and you get all of them together in a room, and one of them is Richard E. Grant, um, that's a Doctor Who plot for sure. Loki has to work together with himself And solve the puzzle And save the universe I like this very much
1: Well Steve that's not the only thing You saw this week Tell us about the the exploration you did
0: Yep, we had a party cast this week, Chip. CF3, we got together, nine people got into a a chat room and we talked about the movie Labyrinth. The 35th anniversary of Labyrinth from 1986 is this year, and... Boy, do, do a lot of old people like Jim Henson's mind and the idea of this adventure of the puppets that you, that you live with, that you don't know about, that can come and take your brother when you wish your brother away. When you say, I wish the goblins would come and take my brother, the goblins show up and take your brother and you have to go on a whole adventure. Labyrinth from 1986, you might have... Memories of this movie. But our discussion of nitpicking 35 years later was a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) Now, this this stars David Bowie, too, right, Steve?
0: Yes, David Bowie and his dance magic pants. Because, boy, (laughs) oh, boy, did David Bowie show off uh, during the uh, costuming portion of this
1: movie. (laughs) I, I don't think I've ever seen this film. You've never seen Labyrinth? No Steve, I did wow. not see Labyrinth.
0: Wow. Nineteen eighty six Labyrinth was a big influencer on me. Of course I was watching anything Jim Henson's mind was producing at this time. Did you watch did you see the Dark Crystal? I did see that. And that's probably
1: the reason I didn't see Labyrinth. <laughs>
0: We had a great discussion over on CF3. You can find CF3 on Project Nerd and go and watch our discussion. We had a lot of fun, and we gave it very high scores. After nitpicking it to death for an hour, everybody on the panel gave it a very high score. It wound up right around 90 on the Cult Filmometer.
1: Well, yeah, David Bowie, The Muppets. I'm sure there was uh enjoyment on the Offset.
0: <laughs> yes. Enjoyment on the Offset. That's that's the name of our new show. <laughs> Opening this week, we've got uh, the film version of Dear Evan Hansen. This was the Tony and Grammy Award winning musical finally coming to the big screen.
1: Yeah, this is interesting. that uh, They decided to go ahead and film it so quickly. Uh, many times it, we, it goes a lot longer before we get a film adaption. We're still waiting for a film adaption of Wicked. And Mm -hmm. I think Wicked has a lot of inspiration for this, because Wicked was our first exploration of two women leads, you know, um, going Glinda and Alphaba, and eventually you know we we move on to Frozen, which once again has two princesses, and and this is uh, two male characters. Well, we we initially um, we think they're friends; they're not really friends, but there's a death that ends up happening, and. And there's a whole story about how they have to build their friendship where one individual, I guess, is going to show, um, basically has an impact about this, this outcast kid. So I, I this is a very interesting musical. Um, when I listened to it, uh, the first song is ultimately two parents, sets of parents really struggling to c- connect with their, their, their children. Mm-hmm. The story ultimately is about how each of us longs to have a friend, a, a person, a confidant. And, you know, Steve, we're very lucky that you every week you and I get to have a conversation yeah. and ex- explore a lot of things. And the beauty is we don't have to be the same person, but we get to experience a lot of the same stuff. Well, not every young person has that confidant mm-hmm. and they long for it. In fact, there's, mm-hmm. a, a I think it's a second or third song where there's this conversation about uh, two young men, they're going to go and they're just hanging out, just talking about stuff that's going on. They're talking about girls that won't pay them. They stop and get some ice cream and then, you know, the person dies because mm-hmm. they climbed up a tree and it kind of cracked and sort of how that leads to the interaction of the, the one that survived and how, that loneliness resonated to a whole group of people. And I think there's the real story there. Now, I hope this is a wonderful adaption. And there certainly are some wonderful songs to experience here. But I I think that we we need to just recognize that you're going to have neighbors and friends like that. and, And their longing for connection Hmm. You can be that person who can, can do it. You can you can be the the friend and just beware of the people around you.
0: Find your tribe Find your people This is a theme of Too Much Scrolling For the last eight years The idea of finding that group of people That loves the thing that you love That you can have those conversations We can get together and talk about Labyrinth From 35 years ago for an hour That's that's powerful Having those people I know that I can go to those people If I am in need of that connection I have those people that I can go to that's powerful
1: well and and yes and and actually being in presence of those people is important Mm -hmm. too so it's not just the internet connects you to your subculture Mm -hmm. but it may not be personal enough so just recognizing that and there's the the beauty of going to a convention right Mm -hmm. You, you you like bigfoot or you like uh uh dressing as a furry or you like uh anime movies, or whatever that thing is. Doctor Who. Doctor, yeah, you can find that group. (laughs) that uh, You can explore what some people would call hell together.
0: That's right. And and together, it makes a big difference. Labyrinth might not be a good movie, but together, it's so much fun to go through that experience. There's so much there.
1: And just on that, as being a person you don't even like it one of the things i enjoy most is passionate people so if you're at the football game and they love i don't know i'm at the university of kentucky they love kentucky football great i don't have to be a kentucky fan or even like football i can enjoy being around people having lots of enjoyment the
0: passion Absolutely. That's my job at school, is to show my students the passion of this dumb subject that they don't have any interest in. And maybe by the end, they'll catch that excitement. There's there's something there.
1: Hey Steve, do we have a, a movie for the Grinches in the audience?
0: Not only the Grinches in the audience, but my circle of horror movie fans. I'm not a horror movie fan, but I love the classic... 1950s black and white universal monsters. And one of the stars of those movies is Boris Karloff. There's a new documentary out this week called Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster. This is brought to us by shout factory. So I hope that I'll be able to find this on, on my home television soon. But for right now, this documentary is a theater only experience.
1: And because of the type of film it is, yeah, this would really uh, benefit from like a fathom event type of uh, presentation, Agreed. because I don't think that there are enough art theaters that are open mm-hmm. that are going to be able to, to to show this. Because that's where it's going to be. It's it's going to be a a micro presentation, and this looks excellent. This mm-hmm. is why we have streaming, by the way. That we should have these things available. And the- why didn't why didn't Amazon pick this up, or why didn't uh, Netflix pick this up?
0: I, again, I think that this is going to be one of those films. It's a documentary about a a subject from, you know, 70 years ago. I think this is going to be one of those films that we come together to watch, whether it be a Fathom event or some other sort of convention type event. And I think that it's positioned well for that to happen in October when monsters come out. Well, there you go. That's my theory. That's why I think it's in theaters for a very short amount of time, and then we'll get access to it in October. I look forward to seeing this. Me too. I I will seek this one out.
1: Book it. Book it. Book it. Book it. Book it. Book it.
0: Book it. Book it. Book it to our book at our Book of the Week. Chip, you have been reading.
1: Yeah, Steve, um, there are these uh, symbols that are on paper <laughs> that I uh, have learned to put together and they actually show me ideas. They're fascinating.
0: This week you read, Leave Me Alone and I'll Make You Rich, How the Bourgeois Deal Enriched the World. This is by Deidre McCloskey
1: and Art Carden. This, yes, and, and Deidre McCloskey is, if I kind of think about my time in Chicago and lost opportunities, she was a professor over at the University of Illinois, Chicago, a celebrated economist, certainly a very unique voice in the world of economics and in and in general and try our understanding of the world. And this book was put together, I think, but Art Cardin was brought in to kind of lighten up the presentation a little bit to make it for the masses. This book was made for the masses. I had started reading the bourgeois uh, era trilogy, and this is McCloskey's work. McCloskey is very sympathetic to market-based economies where individuals have rights to choose their lives and live their lives as they'd like, and what she does that is separate that, that many other economists run into is she's saying that there was a lot more to it than just, hey, we learned to save. And we learned how to not kill each other when we trade with each other. There's a lot more to it than that. The West became materially wealthy, not because we were you know super smart or anything like that. It was because we stopped demonizing individuals for trading with each other. You know, Steve could start a business and trade doors with me. And and instead of looking at him as some lower class, like the aristocrats did, they basically said he's a regular person and and he's building doors and people like their doors and how lovely that, that that's going on. And so the middle class grew from this, and we got this wonderful growth. For for thousands of years, people have saved money or saved things, but they never got wealthy. So what changed? And that was what Scotland basically brought to the world. Mm -hmm. And that was what Adam Smith helped to identify. And that was the birth of what we would call the classic uh, definition of liberalism. But where, this, where he deviates some is that you're not some mindless person out there trading. You're a thoughtful person. So you're thinking a lot about your neighbors. You're thinking about your community. You're thinking about how you kind of work in society. There's a sense of mores there. We all can think of some bad player in a market-based economy and think of like that guy who what do you buy the insulin patent for it and jacked Mm -hmm. up the price of insulin yeah well there's no doubt that we all wish schadenfreude on that guy right we we all wish something like you know if you found out that he tripped over and broke his leg you're kind of like well good for him this jerk how dare he do this and and a lot of people think that market-based economies are just that there's no thought to it caring for your fellow man is uh, a secondary thing to whether the profit motive or whatever, but it's exactly the opposite. It's because you care for the person, because you care for your neighbors, that you're willing to provide your services to them and mm-hmm. do it so in a very good way. And we, we we really this is a this is a nuance. This is a way of looking at society, and this is what McCloskey spent her lifetime studying. And she basically talked about the rise of the bourgeois, the, the everyday Joe, the, uh, the middle-class group, and how there are people who have obscene seen wealth and how um, terrible for them. I mean, they have to, the burden of having to have everything that's available to you. But how basically it allowed us to experience those things, those, those things that were so expensive the kings and queens couldn't even get their hands on it. You know, we have at our, our disposal now, we have indoor plumbing and air conditioning and refrigeration. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'm sorry you don't live in your 12,000 square foot home with your villa or whatever. But, you know, most of us have to suffer with a roof over our heads and all these things available to us and the generosity of having museums and, you know, sporting events and entertainment. And this is, beautiful. We, we live in magical times. And I don't know if this book ultimately would change anyone's view of the world. But the idea that, you know, the rich, you can just basically squeeze every penny out of them for the everyday person. I don't think that's going to work. I, and I think it was this book brought me the Andrew Carnegie story. I'm going to butcher this story, but I, okay, there's this person who shows up and. Carnegie's uh, home and says, hey, listen, you need to give all your wealth away. You know, think of all the people who don't have anything. And so Carnegie, who was an incredibly wealthy person, had his assistant take the population of the earth, take his wealth, and he came back and it was like 16 cents. And he says, give this man 16 cents and send him away. So... Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know a little bit about Carnegie, but he built this incredible wealth and then basically gave it all, all away the way before he died. Hmm. And um, I mean, many communities have uh, organs and, and buildings and they're all, uh, they were financed by this guy. Nice. And uh, it's not just him, but I mean, Benjamin Franklin built an incredible wealth and then spent his later years representing the United States on a number of things. And um, I, I know a lot of people who have, uh, have basically had that same sort of revelation.
0: And one of the things that McCloskey proposes in this book is the idea of innovism, and maybe the the word innovism should replace the word capitalism in her
1: view, right? Yes, uh, capitalism was a a term that was created by Marx, and it was this idea that so one of the the critiques of say someone like Elon Musk is he's got all this wealth well he may not have money in his family it's, it's all working on his businesses mm-hmm. uh and in fact there was a, a I think there was an article I read about Elon Musk is he um and pledged half of his wealth to building Tesla or you know those types of, of companies And at some point they came into a cash flow and basically it became all of it. All of his wealth got put into Tesla. Now, if Tesla works out real well, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can build a rocket and go to space or something. You never know. Um, But the reality is, is that these people are doing things that we value, or or at least we think we value. And if it works out the way it is in Steve's lifetime, Steve may be able to jump into a rocket and go to space. It may be inexpensive enough that you, cho- you choose to do that. You work, you save, and one of your goals is, I want to be in outer space for a few minutes. And you could do that within your lifetime. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> and that's the idea of innovating, of innovism, the, the idea of this wealth being used to move forward our society and all of the things that we can do and all the things that we should do.
1: And we uh, we had a great example of that this week with uh, the closing of Sears at Woodfield. So Sears headquarters is right down the street from us.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: Sears was the Amazon of its time. Sears was an incredibly innovator. It you know many people, my brother lives in a Sears home. So they designed homes, you ordered it, it was a kit, they built it and now you have a home. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted clothes or something of that nature, if you were in some rural community out in you know middle of North Carolina or uh, out in Nebraska or something, there's no way they were opening a Sears to you. They opened a store called a Sears Catalog Store, and it was in a shopping mall that was itty bitty slim, and you would order it, and the box would arrive at that location. Now that sounds like Amazon, mm-hmm. but you know, like. 1920s version of Amazon. Mm -hmm. And we have something called creative destruction, where better ideas come around, innovations come around, and you always have to be aware of what competition is doing, of how people are meeting other people's needs. I mean, uh, do you think that in 10 years from now, most of us will go to the grocery store?
0: One of my assignments in my class, which is by the way called Innovative Technology, uh-huh. is looking forward 10 years. What does life look like in 10 years? There is a good chance that the idea of shopping as we experience it now is due for a disruption, and the idea of going to a grocery store might be eliminated. There might be plenty of people today that do their online shopping and have those groceries delivered to their home today.
1: And and, the pandemic would just maybe have accelerated that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And and the shopping malls that Sears ultimately became part of that fueled their growth, they may not exist.
0: There's a very good chance that that culture, that, that mall rats culture, is on its last breath. W- Woodfield Mall in Schaumburg is one of the examples of one of the big shopping malls that's still bustling today. But our local shopping mall in Dundee, that is, is a, a dead zone at this point.
1: Exactly. And I think you just had it that when we grew up, shopping was not a sporting activity but it was a social activity right oh we're going to go to the mall i'm going to get some ice cream I'm oh they got some new t-shirts oh look at this they've got some funny things going on that was part of the event and in for my community growing up in north carolina it was a way for the world to come to my local community mm-hmm. and that was lovely i mean how wonderful it is but things have changed over 50 years and what was once you know, super special, well, we, we have our kids any place in the United States, many times i will have those things available. And we value things differently. At one time, we had all this accumulation. We need, you need this and that and this and that. And what have we learned over as the past generations have passed away? Well, um, we had a whole uh, business model built upon taking away your junk And selling it to other people. And Mm -hmm. that is where, um, you know, all those collections that you spend so much time putting together, you know, they just don't mean that much to that next generation. Mm -hmm. So so we we really are in a special time. This book is made for the everyday person. Art is an incredibly witty, funny person. McCloskey is incredibly thoughtful and certainly a true defender of market-based economy. But one of the real challenges is I don't think this book is going to change a person's mind. If you are a person who likes central planning or thinks that's the way, or you think that some people know better than others on what to do with resources, I don't think this book is going to change your mind. But I think if you're a person who uh, enjoys liberalism in the classic sense, I think this is a wonderfully enjoyable book that that certainly helps you think about those things uh in maybe a little bit different way because mccloskey once again recognizes there's a human element to your choices and you're not some jerk just going around going where to get the best price and i'm not gonna i'm gonna say you're a thoughtful person who goes out there who who really is thinking about you know how how does how do my choices impact other things.
0: Hmm.
1: Anyway, I, I recommend that book for this, for that group, for the other. Well, I would. I can hope that you would read a book like this.
0: All right. That's "Leave Me Alone and I Will Make You Rich: How the Bourgeois Deal Enriched the World" by Deidre McCloskey and Art Carden. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's plenty of stuff happening in the world. Let's talk about almost none of it, Chip. <laughs> we we have sad news in the in the entertainment field sometimes, and and this week we lost a comedian that boy. Uh, talk about a guy that um, some people really love his comedy, and some people just didn't understand. That's Norm McDonald who passed away this week at age 61.
1: Well Steve, as a meandering conversationalist, <laughs> I love Norman. Mac- of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> he goes out, he just basically takes you on a trip and then it brings it right back Jeez. and there's the comedy hit. And it's there's something really enjoyable about that.
0: As an educator who needs to get the audience into the knowledge of the story as fast as I can or I'm going to lose the audience, I was not a big fan of Norm Macdonald's meandering comedy. I got <laughs> it, I understood it, but it didn't it left me wanting to get to the point of the
1: story. Now I'm wondering if Norm Macdonald was invited back to Saturday Night Live. I know there was a few players who were not invited for the celebration a couple of years ago. And the reason being is when Norm Macdonald was fired from Saturday Live, he was brought back at maybe a year and a half later to host. And when he was doing his monologue, he changed his monologue. And if there's anything we know about Lorne Michaels is he doesn't like that at all. He's like, This is the way you said you were gonna do it, do it that yeah. way.
0: He's not open to surprises on live television.
1: I but, totally understand that. But the, but the the story Norm told on that changed monologue was hilarious. Basically, they they fired him because they said he was not funny. But they brought him back, and the joke was, he goes, "Listen, I'm still not funny. It's just that the show has gotten really, really bad." <laughs>
0: criticizing <laughs> Lauren Michaels is not a great way to get a job with Lauren Michaels. I'll tell you that. much.
1: <laughs> so, um, Norm MacDonald had no problem poking fun at himself. And certainly had no problem going after O.J. <laughs>
0: and 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 anything else that got stuck in his craw that he was going to throw out there forever. the 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 outpouring of love for Norm Macdonald. Uh, there's so many comedians who said that he was such an amazing human being. He was the wonderful friend in their circle. I, I hope that they all all get together and celebrate the life of M- norm mcdonald just once again a
1: reminder that life is short make sure mm-hmm. you enjoy it
0: that's right hey chip facebook's in the news this week how about that
1: and, and this is what brought this up to me was it's a story in wall street journal and the question is is whether facebook is a newspaper or not or hmm. whether facebook is public relations or not hmm. and the um The point of this is not necessarily, when COVID became an issue, Facebook, under Zuckerberg's uh, direction, said, hey, listen, we're going to help solve this. We're going to talk a little bit about um, how people need to get vaccinated, and we're going to give good information on this.
0: Because they're positioned. They're in a position of power to share information, and and Zuckerberg decided that his company should be at the forefront.
1: So once again, is that propaganda? Is mm. that public relations? Is that a news organization? I, you, you, these are things that, that a, a person should ask themselves. Now on that same note, you know, grassroots, why there's the anti-vaxxers and they recognize the platform too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So once again, is it propaganda? Is it news? Yeah is it public relations the point is is that the anti-vaxxers were using it as effective as effectively or or more effectively than than Facebook and hmm. and there's the real challenge we're having with um
0: sources with, and information
1: yeah in fact I'm going to give you a uh, John F Kennedy quote he, he gave the commencement at Yale um a long long time ago and he goes, for the great enemy of truth is very often not the lie, a deliberate, contrived, and dishonest. It's but the myth, persistent, persuasive, and unrealistic. Mm-hmm. This idea that lies are kind of easier to, 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 to discuss and, and, and to define. But myths, just they just don't go away. They continue to rot away. And we've got this entire group of people who have learned to use a platform who basically can manipulate public opinion. And I don't want to under-challenge what Facebook made a decision they made. Because once again, would they make a conscious decision to support a certain candidate versus another candidate, to present some news and suppress other news, is that propaganda... Or is that a public service? Hmm. And and, and there's no wrong answer on that. It's both. It's both.
0: So it's a challenging business model for sure.
1: Yeah. And and there's the real beauty of today in the sense that we all are connected. And there's the real detriment of that is that some charismatic person could potentially, you know, take us down a, a dark, dark to, to a dark place. Mm -hmm. very quickly that Mm -hmm. that mythology
0: that idea of this is truth despite the fact that you look at some of the other evidence that's uh something that we need as a society to keep tabs on to make sure that we are knowing the truth whatever that means well there you go
1: steve steve let's have some great news for that
0: all right, our end story, our fun end of the show story, like like on the news, the, the family-friendly story of the day, Lucid Air has a new electric vehicle available, and it's exciting. This new battery-powered car gets 520 miles on battery power. That is a record.
1: Well, and, and here's the real challenge with Lucid uh, Airs you know, electronic vehicle. It's not named Tesla. Mm
0: -hmm. So we all
1: know Tesla and we know that, you know, Volkswagen and and Ford and, and all the other manufacturers are getting involved in EVs. Lucid is name has just been lost.
0: Well, they're just starting out. This is a startup. They, they're just getting started. I think you're going to hear more about Lucid, but I think that uh, you and I are probably not going to buy this vehicle chip.
1: Well, Steve, I want a vehicle that you know costs what, a, what maybe a condominium would cost in many parts of the world.
0: <laughs> the 520-mile range Lucid Air Dream Edition has 933 horsepower and costs $169,000, Chip.
1: <laughs> well, that is expensive today. Mm-hmm. But going back to McCloskey's uh, argument... know, what at one point was only for the wealthy, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: eventually makes its way down for the the, the bourgeois, the, the everyday person.
0: This is definitely innovation at work. This company has been working on this technology. It is striking how well their vehicle works. And for right now, it is very expensive. The idea of innovation is just that. You are going to make this one moonshot, and then everything after that will use that technology to innovate, to make everything better.
1: Well, in fact, I just saw a presentation this week. I was at a conference. They were talking about a um, gene sequencing, artificial intelligence, it doesn't really matter. Basically, a computer program that would take your blood, make it basically kind of line up your DNA for it. And at one time, maybe it was $100,000, maybe, maybe even more than that. Well, you can get it done now for, I think it was like $1,000.
0: Believe- $1,000. I believe the gene sequencing from CRISPR is is down into the hundreds now. And, and and just just consider
1: what that means that for most of us, you know, could we look at your genes and potentially determine sicknesses before they even mm-hmm. happen or likelihood of sicknesses. Mm-hmm. Now, that may make it terrible for getting life insurance, but it may make it very nice because uh We can help you live longer.
0: Mm -hmm. This is a very dark sci-fi story that I've read many times, my friend. That idea of we have the science to make you live longer can lead to all sorts of unintended consequences.
1: Well, you know, one of the great gifts we give the next generation is dying.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And our bad ideas get to go with them. But anyway, Mm -hmm. um, so we have 520 mile range, which is unbelievable. Most mm-hmm. of us can't get that of a tank of fuel uh, for one hundred sixty nine thousand, but the air pure the um, you know for the, the, the rest of us the four hundred six mile, uh, mile range seventy seven thousand. So, and if you look at what oh I can't think of, maybe three hundred fifty range for the Tesla and that's mm-hmm. going for thirty five thousand. So. so so think about think about what we're doing. We are at a point where electric vehicles are coming down in price, mm-hmm. and they certainly are the ranges that many of us are going to be okay with.
0: As long as we can get the parts to manufacture these vehicles. That's the the problem with this system right now.
1: Well, Where's and the- who is the guy? Is it Marcus? Who um, The guy is the YouTube guy. Uh, Browning?
0: Marquez, Marquez Brownlee, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. He just he just did a a little test, not not scientific, scientific, but scientific enough for us, where he took three uh, vehicles, one gas power, a Tesla, and then he did the Mustang, uh, the EV uh, Mustang.
0: You mean the the Maquis, which is not the name of the Indian tribe from Star Trek Voyager, the Maquis? Okay, go on.
1: Well they went on a thousand mile truck and so they went on this thousand mile truck and what they wanted to see is sort of how they would compare and the he ga- goes and you absolutely know how one two and three are going to line up at the end of a thousand miles but what you didn't realize is that um, that the Tesla performed incredibly well the Tesla came in on a thousand miles like about 30 minutes after the gas powered vehicle hmm the real challenge with the the Ford Mustang, the EV version of that, was they couldn't find charging stations. Hmm. Um, that they had to go way out of their way for charging stations. And when they got to charging stations, many of them were broken at the time. So they'd have like four places to you could plug in, but three of them were broken. Hmm. And so that happened. You know, that, what that says to me is that, okay, it's not ready for prime time. You know, we're, we're right. building that infrastructure right now.
0: That's right. Innovation. Innovation, cart before the horse, which comes first? Having those stations to get the gas or the need for those stations? Same thing is happening with this electric vehicle line.
1: And, and so Tesla requires its own charging port. It's different than the, um, the, the port they're using for all the other ones. Mm-hmm. because they control the uh the areas where you come in and plug in, they're up, they're working, they work properly. This is sort of the Apple statement. Like Precisely. if you get an Apple uh device, yeah, you get all this like this is Apple only. But the mm-hmm. reality is it works, it's elegant, but you have to be in the A- Apple ecosystem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The the uh when you're dealing with uh, Google or you're dealing with Microsoft, it's more generic as far as the uh, ports and stuff like that. But then again, you got to deal with all the challenges of, you know, a thousand million dongles and this and that. And there's more nuance to it, but Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's also more experimentation with it. You can, they, they can take more chances.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. Both both valid uses of innovation for sure. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with electric vehicles. I I am fully in the plug-in hybrid camp for now, getting the advantage of both systems.
1: And, and I think there's the, the point is that a company like Tesla, a, a company like Lucid, you know, will they survive ultimately? I, I I don't know if that's gonna be the case. I mean Volkswagen, Toyota, Ford you know, GM; they've been used to selling vehicles and they know how to price them. And they've got all mm-hmm. this specialized knowledge, but it is uh, ripe for innovation and ripe for disruption. Mm-hmm. So these types of innovations should be celebrated. It, it is technology that ultimately could make your community cleaner or technology that makes your commute more enjoyable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you don't ever own a car anymore You just rent it for the moment Yeah,
0: the, this we, We've we talked a lot About the self-driving cars These these are not those But uh, maybe you won't ever own a car Once the car drives itself And you don't have to park it somewhere It's out doing its business
1: exactly. It's
0: like a dog It's out doing its business <laughs> I don't know Chip I think we have enough information to survive another week What do you
1: think? only if we can come back next week steve
0: yeah hopefully we will be even smarter next week than we are today we would love to hear from you give us a call or a text our phone number is eight zero five four one zero four tms send us an email too much scrolling at gmail.com our website is too much scrolling.com we're on twitter instagram and facebook we're on itunes and spotify and youtube we're on youtube chip that's that's innovative I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Flood. We'll see you in the future.